0: What does a pharmacist do? Well, most people might answer that a pharmacist dispenses the medications that my doctor prescribes. Now I work with a ton of great pharmacists and one thing that I don't generally see is excitement about pills in a vial. And this is probably because pharmacists have been trained to do so much more. So what can you get excited about in your community? To find out, let's go beyond the scripts. Everyone, welcome back to Beyond the Scripts. I'm your host, Will Tuft with Pioneer RX. And today we have a special guest joining us from Mitchell's Pharmacy. Now, if you are paying attention to social media or the pharmacy world in general, Mitchell's Drugstore probably sounds familiar. Uh, Tim Mitchell has a fantastic pharmacy up there doing a lot of exciting things. And when you talk to stores that are doing exciting things well, I think a big part of that is having a team that is not only uh, there for you know delegation, but really owning some of those initiatives. And uh, I would love to introduce Lacey Epperson, which you may recognize from the uh, NCPA series uh, that we've probably all seen online, the uh, Show Me series. So welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I um, it just kind of as a segue from what Will said, um, I do serve as the director of clinical services at Mitchell's Drug Stores. Uh, we currently own and operate two community pharmacies. Those are traditional community pharmacies. We also have a closed-door long-term care pharmacy and a recently opened um, cost-plus pharmacy. So I would call that a non-traditional um, community pharmacy setting. So I kind of carved that out on purpose. Uh, we also offer consulting services, and we've kind of dipped our toes in some other um, uh, territory this year as well. So hoping some of that will get to come out soon. Um also of note, some of you may think I look familiar. You're tired of hearing from me. I do teach the community health worker course through CE Impact. Um, and I also um, do some work with CPS in Missouri as well. So,
0: Yeah, lots lots going on up there. So um, tell me a little bit about how you joined the Mitchell's team.
1: That's a great question. I was not expecting that. So, <laughs> uh, So kind of long-winded. If you know me, I can be long-winded, but I think it's important to how I got here as well. So um, I actually, before I I ever knew Tim, I became friends with his son Tanner, um, in pharmacy school, but before he was in pharmacy school. So Tanner was a few years behind me, um, and we became friends through another mutual friend and I had no idea that who Tanner was. And then he shows up on campus and I'm like, what are you doing here? You're going to pharmacy school? And he's like, yeah, I thought you knew that. And I was like, no. And, uh, come to find out, uh, so Mitchell's Drugstores is located about 30 miles south of where I grew up. And so, whenever it came time to select um, clinical rotations, I was pretty confident. I wanted to go into um, community pharmacy; that that felt like home to me. And so, I wanted to use my my one rotation on a really advanced community pharmacy site. So, I selected Mitchell's Drugstores. I stayed with my parents for that month. Um, ironically, it was over the summers when I got placed, and so Tanner got to come back with me. And so, him and I worked together um, at his dad's store that summer. Um, I feel like I hit it off with the Mitchell staff. I feel like. Um, it, it, it truly felt like home and Tim and I stayed in touch ever since then. Um, the market was a lot different, uh, for pharmacists than what it is today. So there actually was not a position at that time, um, when I graduated and so I um, I sought out employment elsewhere and it kind of became a thing. I, I actually really did not want to leave my last job. I was managing a pharmacy and trying to do some of the things that I'm doing now. Um, and I, I felt like I had made it home and Tim had called me uh, a couple of times and he was like, listen, I will support whatever you want to do, but I, I want you to pray about it. If it's in God's plan, it will happen. And um, it was one of those things that I, I just... I just kept praying about it. And I was like, you know, maybe I just need to drive down there. At the time, I actually was living um, further away than than where I live now. And so I was commuting almost two hours every day to, to come here once I committed to coming uh, to oh, wow. Mitchell's. And so I tell everyone, and I've said it from the day I started here. I told someone just the other day that walked in um, just to use our UPS station. They were like, do you like working for Mitchell's drugstores? And I said, I do. And and the only reason I came down here. Um, of course, they're they're known for pharmacy, but I only came down here for their family. They're good people, so um, I've become friends with the Mitchells and their family, and his daughter Taylor. Um, so I've I I love them like family, and so I'm here here for them, not not because I um just love driving to Neosho every day, but it it's in the plan, and I love it, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, awesome. So Neosho itself, uh, kind of a cool place. Uh, Small town, like about 13,000 people or so, good hiking. Like I love the landscape up there. You said that uh, there's a couple locations, and one of those is the, I guess, the Boulevard location, which is kind of the the original. Was that the first location?
1: Sort of. Well, so they have changed things over the years. So um, the Boulevard is what we call the hub. So the Boulevard houses a lot of our – so it's larger. It used to be a bank. So the way we have everything set up, um, like I'm currently in an office right now. Um, So we have our main pharmacy in like where you would normally have seen tellers in a bank. And then all of the other rooms is what we can use to expand services. Um, So like our cost plus resides in one of those. Our long-term care resides in a different suite. Um, So we have different suites that we can utilize space for. Um, And then we also have a downtown location that sits next to a rural health clinic. Um, The downtown location physically is just a lot smaller but this building that I'm sitting in at the boulevard used to actually be in a grocery store. So when Tim had started his business, it was in a grocery store and they actually purchased this building because they needed to expand. So um, it technically mm. was the first location, but um, it wasn't the original location per se.
0: Yeah, yeah. Banks make great pharmacies. I, I've done a, uh, a lot of pharmacy conversions, uh, you know, when I was part of the installation team. And, uh, you know, a bank is going to look for a lot of the same things that a pharmacy is going to look for as far as traffic patterns and, um, you know, security, uh, you have a great C2 cabinet built in. That's right. <laughs> so. Yeah,
1: Every, It always scares everyone when we walk by the vault to go to the vaccination room. And I'm like, that's where we put the bad people. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> isolation. Yeah. So, um, so you mentioned that, um, you're actually kind of offsite and and you guys kind of expanded into that what is what does that look like
1: yeah so um, our well our this is our, our current setup so I am on site at our boulevard location I'm just in a separate suite so we've been oh, okay trying, okay yeah so we've been really trying to think over the last few years how can we maximize this space? Um, so we're trying to turn it into, um, when patients walk in, they view it as a healthcare hub. They can see what we're doing. Um, of course this office is going to be a little bit different, but like the other day I brought a patient in here to do pharmacogenomic testing. He's never been in here before. Um, but I can keep that separate from my patients receiving, um, point of care testing services who may be ill or things like that. Um, so we're really trying to create, this as a space to utilize it for revenue generating services as well. So, but it is all, um right here attached to to our main location
0: nice yeah so uh that location when you walk in uh, your patients are going to walk into kind of the traditional still uh independent retail pharmacy there's boutique area looks like uh, a lot of taylor's fun stuff go chiefs right now and uh, (laughs) and um and then tanner um i guess is he still doing the uh, uh plants by tanner
1: he is. And those are always my least favorite councils when people have a plant question, because I, I don't know a thing about any of them. So I always pray that Tanner's here the day that they ask a plant question. But yeah, so they've they've kind of made it a um, I would call it like a, a modernized uh, front end lobby. I, I love our front end. I, I go into a lot of other stores um, with with my CBSN role and in different um, uh, consulting roles that I've served in. And I, I love their front end stuff, but it's kind of fun for them. They can they can mix um, leisure with work as well.
0: Yeah. And it's such a fun like a, and and kind of romantic notion of what pharmacy is, where independent pharmacy, where you go into that place and in the community where, you're, yeah, you're getting your health care. But there's also that kind of connection because there's something special that you're not going to find, especially in a small market where, you know, you may have a lot of your basic needs met. Um, but you know, some of those specialty retailers and the really cool things that you don't, you know, typically see in a, in a smaller market get to be introduced. And, and so it's a, it's a cool way to connect with the community on, you know, kind of a different level.
1: It is. And I think it makes it more special because we are the only independent in town and the only independent within many miles. Um, and so for us, I I think it's, it's so interesting because when I first started here, patients would travel um, as as this was the nearest pharmacy, and that's sometimes hard to imagine. Um, sometimes things that that we may take for granted if you don't live in a rural area, and I, where I had previously practiced, my lobby was so small, so I couldn't I didn't have space for some of these things. So I think to be able to, um, I think when if you were to just if I were to go right now and show you around in here, you'd be like, oh, what a what a large pharmacy. They must practice at a really um, populated town, but that's not the case. So I think I think what you said is, is it's kind of a unique setup, and um, I think it's kind of fun. So I enjoy it.
0: Yeah, and and what's neat about that is I think one of the mental blocks that a lot of independent pharmacies put on themselves is they say, that wouldn't work in our location or for our patient base, that wouldn't work. Sure, that sounds great for you, but that wouldn't work in my town because we have a small population. Well, you have 13,000 people in your town, but obviously you're serving a much larger rural area. But, you know, it, it goes to show you're you're not uh, – the, the rules may not be as, as hard and fast on that wouldn't work with a small population, Right.
1: I would agree. I think to that point, I have two very different, I think this can go two ways. One, I think you do have to pay attention to your market and individualize your services to what your market is um, interested in. But twofold, you also have to be able to market that service. Um, I tell my staff all the time, whether it's um, one one big thing recently that I I, I tell I, they're probably tired of hearing from me, but our community health workers, I tell them all the time, if you don't if you don't tell someone what you have, they're not going to know about it. So same thing with our community health workers. When we have all of these services and things we can offer, um, I'm just one person. But if you're the ones talking to the patients every single month during those adherence calls, or you're out there helping a the patient on the front end, or whatever the case may be, um, you have to be able to, to tell someone about it. So um, I think that's one thing that we're continuing to learn and we're continuing to, to try to develop and um you know you can you can't do everything overnight but by golly we try
0: <laughs> yeah yeah so there's definitely a lot going on at uh, mitchells and you know you can you can find uh, a couple articles out there there's uh, some old podcast appearances um with uh with tim talking about various different projects uh, immunizations um talking with jeff and and the team here during covid um so you you guys have always kind of pivoted to whatever opportunities are currently available. So what are you what are you excited about right now? If I walk in as a new patient, I've never been in. You know, maybe I've got a maintenance medication from uh, from my prescriber and my my yearly checkup. And hey, I'm Will. I'm a new patient. You know, what are you excited to show me?
1: So. Uh, that's a loaded question, so I'll just yeah. start rolling here, <laughs> but um, I
0: try
1: not to, I, I try to, to read the room as well if my patient wants to hear about some of these things, but let's pretend you want to hear about my services. So um, I, one big thing, so we have really focused a lot um over the last year on a cash-based model. So a lot of this is starting from, um, I've, I've done a lot of research with the CPSN direct pay webinar. I've sat in on a lot of those. We've talked on some of those. Um, it, it, at the end of the day, there are so many different nuances that you're trying to juggle to keep your doors open that patients don't see, that um, community businesses don't see. And so sometimes they don't realize that the expense associated can also be really great as well. Um, and so that being said, as we're trying to juggle all these things, we found a really simplified model and a cash based model. So um, that's where I spent a lot of my time is kind of how do we develop these services? So point-of-care testing, for example. Um, I mentioned pharmacogenomics earlier. Um, we've got that as an option. I've got a, a recent addition of the Cognivue screening um, to detect early-onset cognitive mm-hmm. um, disorders. And um, that, again, we're offering these things as cash based services. Um, these are all... All of these things that i'm going to continue to discuss we're kind of act they're acting as a complement to our recent cost plus pharmacy um so we're trying to get creative with how do we maximize a membership for a patient and it's so weird because if you think about i could probably pretty easily go sell a sam's club membership to someone but if you tell them to buy a membership for healthcare or for pharmacy they don't understand why it's it's valuable until you can show them so I've been working on some things with nutraceuticals um, and just really enhancing our point of care testing um, with different services that that I believe that our market would benefit from. But again, we're only cashing these things. So I, I don't want to right now, I do think there's value to learning medical billing, but I also don't have the capacity with all of my projects and to teach another staff member um, because that takes time as well. And then it takes someone to reconcile. So we're just cashing all of these things. Um, I've got. Um, lots of acute care testing on site. So COVID, flu, strep, RSV, um, I've got chronic care testing, A1C, cholesterol, um, trying to think blood pressure, glucose, things like that. And with that, we are actually, um, I'm serving as the clinic manager, we're opening up our own direct primary care um, membership based clinic. So that will be able to service acute and chronic patients as well. So that's kind of been a I would say our our most recent launch at the beginning of the year is being able to um, maximize what that membership looks like, and so we're partnering with. It's called Big Tree Medical, is what we're partnering with, um, and so we we have started up our own um, location here, and I am really excited about the opportunity to market that. Uh, I think it's kind of a unique feel for our town. We do have a local primary care physician that we have a very good relationship with, but he's expanding as well. So um, we're trying to to strategically balance that to where we are not um, leeching his patients, for example, where we we're kind of developing our own our own patients. And for me, that looks like targeting. Um, businesses that can can self-insure for example are even our own employees how do we self-insure um because all the things that we continue to complain about in the pharmacy world and reimbursement world um are some of the things that we might be able to even make a difference on so when i'm when i'm going out and talking to a business about how they can self-insure and why i've got an affordable option for them by golly i have the perfect setup right here i've got the clinic i've got the um, pharmacy that's dispensing generic medications at a low cost and now I can also offer lab services. So I'm putting together all these different lab packages. Wow. So um, I've kind of got my hand in a lot of that right now. And then I've also got a lot of um, operational business things in the back end that I'm looking at. So part two of that, uh, I know this wasn't your question, so <laughs> forgive me. Oh, no,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm making mental notes here because we're going to go back and unpack all this.
1: <laughs> okay, so part two of of kind of where my my hat is and i'm not the business owner but i try to have that mindset um because it's one of those things tim and i tell each other all the time i'm like hey i've got your back and he says i've got your back too and it's one of those things that um he, he Tim's a very actively involved staffing pharmacist as well. He's not. He's yeah. a very hands-on owner. So that man probably checks many more prescriptions than I do. So in in turn, while I'm doing all this other work, um, and I'm kind of in that position to be able to to um explore some of these opportunities and be able to generate revenue from it. Um, I want to make sure that it's in the best interest of the business as well. Um, for for obvious reasons. So that being said, um, part two is how do we How do we maximize our current operations? So that includes reviewing what we're already doing, looking at reports, cutting out where our losses are. Um, And when I say reports, those are pioneer reports as well. You can check productivity. You can look at all of these things. You can run reports on bin numbers. And do I need to go talk to that business? They're going to be my first one I'm going to go talk to about this um, self-insured plan. Things like that. And then utilizing staff like my community health workers to offload some of the things that necessarily don't need to be executed by a pharmacist. So we just recently have have really jumped into an opportunity for CPS in Missouri called the Vaccine Gap Hesitancy Project. Um, I've been trying really hard to get involved in ways that create a sustainable model, and a lot of time that a lot of times that has been a a trial or a grant project that has um, allowed you to to dip your toes in first. So um, one thing I've kind of kind of gotten um, exposure to over the last couple of years is uh, grant writing. So that's been interesting as well. Oh, wow. But I feel like it's gotten, it's, it's yeah. given us some really unique opportunities. So kind of looking at our, reviewing our current operations and how to maximize it. And then what new operations are critical to start when we're looking at startup costs at the beginning of a, um, what might be an interesting year in pharmacy.
0: Yeah. So I want to back the train up and unpack a lot of these uh, topics, but one of the things you just kind of like, moved over very quickly, and I think it's worth examining, is that um, Mitchell's drugstore has the Mitchell's name on, you know, on the signage. I think as pharmacies, you know, look at their their branding and their identity and their marketing, you know, what can you do that only you can do? And only Tim Mitchell can be Tim Mitchell. And I love that, you know, there's a pull for a lot of business owners away from the bench um, as they find pharmacists to replace that role that they're doing on the bench. I love that Tim makes an effort to be on the bench because his name's, you know, on on the building. That's part of the brand, uh, you know, and his, his family as well. But, you know, I, I think that's a really strategic and smart use of, you know, marketing and, and and brand visibility and and just organic, you know, uh, uh, community pharmacist practice. But I, I think that that's something to keep in mind as a lot of pharmacists tend to get pulled away from that role, um, that, you know, their visibility is uh, super important on a community level. Uh, so let's back all the way up <laughs> to some of the first kind of clinical projects you mentioned. Um, and I think testing is is a really interesting um, arena. Whether it's you know point of care testing or basic labs, tell me a little bit about your point of care testing. Are you able to test and treat there, or you know how how do you handle that in in Missouri?
1: So I love that you asked that question because um, anytime I'm on any kind of conversation with a an individual from another state, and they realize that we don't have provider status in the state of Missouri. Uh, and then they're like, well, then why are you testing people? And whenever I coach other pharmacies, even in Missouri, they're like, but is that really like, They they can't get over that hurdle of, well, how do you close that gap in care? And I think that, that in itself has been a huge focus of mine is closing that gap in care because that goes, that goes for every single thing I just mentioned to you, every service we're offering. Ultimately it is patient centered. It is closing a gap in care and it is utilizing our staff, our resources, our training, um, and I'm very passionate about the community health worker space, um, and so it's kind of utilizing those individuals to to help um, execute projects like this, where our patients are already navigating a very difficult healthcare system. And so, to answer your question, we are not we do not have test and treat legislation in place right now in Missouri, and it has been very challenging because as I'm coaching other people um, and other pharmacies, and they want answers. Um this is part of the the movement on why we decided to um partner with Big Tree and get our own clinic up and going. Mm-hmm. So that actually um I've worked on a uh actually you should ask Tim sometime. Uh he called me his lawyer the other day. I'm not really his lawyer and I have no <laughs> lawyer credential. I have no credentialing for that. Um but I've also been now uh getting involved in some contracts and things that I never dreamed I would have to be doing. Um so that being said, I I've developed some um protocols and some documents that Will allow us to be able to work collaboratively with the big tree team. Um, it kind of is our our uh, recent solution to the test to treat model. So these are providers that we have an established relationship with. Um, we have set up a BAA a CPA with them, um, and ultimately it is up to them. It is up to their discretion. But when these patients are um, testing positive for strep throat for example, or testing positive for the flu, and these are a lot of patients, A, if they're cash paying, they likely either don't have a a PCP to begin with, they don't want to make an urgent care visit, um, or it's just a convenience factor. If they're already doing all of these things and they've come to see you at the pharmacy, uh, their next question when they test positive is, well, what do I do now? Typically, how we've handled it in the past is um, we try to have uh, pre-communication with them about here's what's going to happen, here's the process, if you test positive, do you have a PCP so we can send these results? Because Mitchell's is well-known in our town, a lot of these providers are, are validating these results. They take them for what it is. They know we have um, legitimate um, testing and we have a CLIA waiver. We have a CLIA ID. We have everything in place, and I, I have it ready to go if they request it. And so um, we send these results over to them, and typically they will send a prescription in if it's warranted. Same process with our big tree clinic now, except we have uh easier access. And so these providers um kind of kind of take our results and and that's what they're using as a basis of if if I were on site at your clinic, this is exactly what I would do anyways. And so we are able to help patients and we already have this year, and and that's that's like a very great feeling because this is why i went to the profession in the first place um not to be able to to tell a patient another problem that they have and then hopefully treat it with otc stuff um treat the symptoms um which sometimes is still warranted so that's that's kind of our workaround with the test to treat right now i feel that our clinic and our partnership with them has really opened that door we could have done the same thing with a local provider as well and done uh, we could have set up a type of cpa i know a lot of pharmacies that do that model um a a cpa usually is pretty expensive so that's something to consider um if you're going to have enough tests coming through to be able to do that Damn. and then um b you have to have a provider that um it, it's just very you have to be very careful with outlining that whole process and i again i have had some providers interested in doing that but for us it was do we want to pay for a service that we don't know if it will make up the cost. And at the end of the day, I keep telling you we're focused on cash. Let's let's not kill cash flow any more than we have to. So it was just a decision that we made that's um, so far, I think, a very positive thing for our, our pharmacy and our patients.
0: Nice. So um, you're doing the um, point of care testing, I guess. And then uh, you mentioned the pharmacogenomics, which I think is really interesting. And I, I, I feel like we're going to look back at uh, you know the 2020s and 2010s of kind of you know that being such a, a an outlier and and a lot of uh, pharmacy offerings and look back and and kind of 10 years down the road say how how are we not examining the patient before just you know giving them uh, medication so tell me a little bit about that journey how how are you you know using that in your pharmacy today
1: yeah. So, I've had, I've learned quite a bit already over my pharmacogenomics journey. And I, I do want to say, I think this is a good time to mention another Tim quote. So, just the other day, I said something to him. I said, I just feel like everything I'm trying to do is difficult right now, and nobody has answers, and there's no literature, and everything's in the gray. And I'm a rule follower. So, for me, I hate the why can nobody give me an answer? And, and I just want to make sure I'm doing things right. And he said yeah. to me, he said, well, sometimes that's a good thing. Maybe that means you're on the cutting edge of something. Maybe that means you're trying to change the way things currently are. Um and he said and you know what at the end of the day you are you are practicing in the the best um you, you're practicing in the patient's best interest. You're not doing anything um harmful. You're 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 being careful. You're asking for advice from your inspector and things like that. So, um it, it was just funny though because I'm always like why why can't everything just just be straightforward when I try to do it? So pharmacogenomics has been one of those things that hasn't been straightforward. Um, a it took research on a company that I wanted to to partner with. Um, it took uh, a lot of uh, uh, Zoom meetings and other things to kind of make sure that I I understood the process. Um, ultimately, I ended up partnering with gene markers. um, And they they actually have some uh, support from other pharmacies across the nation. So I kind of did my research there. Then after I got some about a year later, after I had had been working on pharmacogenomics already, um, Gene Markers reached out and they asked me to speak for one of their um, launch webinars for CPSN. So now they are um, they they have an initiative with CPSN as well. So it sounds like they're growing and that makes me feel better um, that, that I also have support of other um, colleagues across the nation as well um, in what I'm doing. So I guess I accidentally helped develop um, <laughs> some, some uh, uh, documents and things that may be helpful to other people. So, a couple of things. One, again, you have to look at your state legislation and how they define things. Um, mm. i I am simply swabbing patients. I am sending that off. And one reason that I partnered with gene markers is I don't have to deal with any of the billing. Once again, that was the a big push is I don't have time to fight with insurance, especially on pharmacogenomics. Now, if I were uh, an insurer, I would say, yeah, by golly, if I paid this many dollars for a patient that's uh, had to change antidepressant meds X amount of times over the last 10 years, I would probably pay for the test. But that's not, it it would blow your mind how many payers do not see it that way. Um, And so there's a lot of supporting evidence that has to be submitted with it. I've kind of got my list down pat now on here's what I need. Here's the testing requisition form. Here's the supporting chart notes. And a lot of that has been education of the local providers who are signing off. Again, I looked into the CPA path on this as well. Um, I really thought that was going to be my end to testing patients. Was let's sign a CPA. I can have someone sign off on it. But after doing some research, i I'm not I'm not the one changing therapy. I don't need CPA for anything. I'm not modifying anything. I am receiving the results and providing them to my patient. Um, and and it is still up to the discretion of the provider uh, what they what they choose to do with that. So after kind of brainstorming some of this, um, pharmacogenomics has still been interesting, and I still feel like it's changing. Um, yeah. But before I ever began offering it as a service, um, I kind of looked at our market and I thought, well, is there no one down here offering it? We have some some local uh, health systems down here that I I figured would probably be able to offer it. So they do. One of them does, but. They don't actively, um, they don't actively test people for pharmacogenomics. And every answer I've gotten, whether it's through different relationships with providers, when I've asked, I've I've said, so can I ask why you, you guys don't want to test or whatever the case may be? The answer always is from the provider's perspective, they say, honestly, it's not that I don't want to test, it's a liability. And I'm not sure what my company would think of it. And so they view it oh. as a liability because quite frankly, these are this is patient DNA. These are results that won't change. And I think it's some sometimes viewed as, it's so interesting to me how uh, it's kind of an ethical debate. Um, whereas in reality, we test for other things all the time. We test for lab results all the time. So I, um, I'm i not sure what will come of pharmacogenomics. I think it's being utilized more and more and more frequently. And I think where I've generated the most referrals is from the same providers that are comfortable with it. And they now have seen the results and like, oh, that's what it is. This wasn't a liability. How I look at it is, uh, well, I've documented either way that your patients had this amount <laughs> of reactions to medication sure. and that it's not working. So I find that out to be a liability too. And that's not threatening. That's just the truth is we're documenting too. So why, why do we always have to, to sit and wait for someone else to make a difference and and implement uh, a patient care initiative? So I try to just view it as a really collaborative relationship with the provider. And if they don't feel it's needed, I also have that buy-in. And so kind of, I'm still maneuvering it every day, but I always take my patient patient, uh, case by case. So I have a patient come in and they're like, well, I just want to be tested because I just feel like I've been depressed. Well, maybe, maybe you're not a good candidate. This isn't telling you if you're depressed or not. um, But I'm really trying to focus from a patient safety standpoint is where I'm trying to take my stance. So uh, looking at patients with um, lots of changes in, um, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications, opioids on board, things like that. Um, I've, I've gotten really involved. The Missouri board of pharmacy has, um, an initiative called the RX cares. Um, it's a, it's a type of funding and it's an RX cares initiative. And so I've taken a, a real stamp to try to make a difference on patient safety. And so that's where I'm really trying to focus right now is, is strategic. Um, when these patients are coming to me with these, these keywords of, I just don't feel like anything's working or I, yeah. um, or, or we're constantly dispensing a Narcan. These make big patients that we probably need to test because we have the ability and those providers are a lot more on board when I come to them first with, well, here's why I think they need it. Um, so I kind of provide them with that supporting evidence first. And I, I actually just told my staff earlier, anytime you do anything for the first time or the second time, or maybe even the third time you're you you have to figure it out and you're a little bit slower and you you reread the instructions and you want to make sure that everything you've you've dotted your I's and crossed your T's. Once you make something a habit, you you feel more comfortable and, and that's when when you can really just start to streamline these services. So um I guess that's kind of I, I would say every single thing I've mentioned to you is probably at a different phase on that spectrum. Yeah. But um but yeah, you have that- to do something for the first time and and figure it out. <laughs>
0: That's that's such a good practical use case as well, because like SSRIs can be such a trial and error process. And when you talk about affecting quality of life for a patient, uh, wow, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, depression and, and those symptoms, you know, finding the drug or, or having an idea of, you know, which direction is going to actually help that patient early on can, you know, really make a huge difference in a lot of people's lives. So uh, that that's really interesting.
1: Well, and that's just, I'm, I'm trying to take the perspective of, I am looking out for the best interests of the patient and I am, am, I am providing them these results that can be utilized by their prescriber, how, how they, how they should. So that being said, if a patient doesn't have a, a PCP or a prescriber or any kind of supporting chart notes, um, it's not really, they're not going to be a good candidate for this type of service. So it does have to be a very collaborative um, documented service. So,
0: yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like that, service could use a rebrand because pharmacogenomics or, you know, just the, the DNA phrase being uttered uh, sounds kind of, you know, scary. Whereas if you called it, you know, a drug effectiveness test or, you know, something catchier than that, I, I think you'd probably have a lot better uptake. But yeah, maybe it's time for a rebrand on that one.
1: Well, you know, what's funny. I, this is another thing that I do all the time and I, I have no idea if I'm allowed to, but this is an example. I, I asked this was probably a couple months ago when we got an audit. I asked him, I said, well, what if we audit them? And he was like, I don't think you're allowed to do that. What if I rebrand the name? I don't think <laughs> it'll, I don't think it'll stick, but if other people support me, maybe we can rebrand it. I don't know, but then I'll have to talk to some board on on why I think it should be rebranded. And I don't know that I'm the right person for that, but happy to yeah. help if anyone wants to start, start that. So,
0: <laughs> so uh, you talked about quite a few different uh, clinical projects. Um, one of those that I think, everyone's ears probably perked up was when you mentioned the cost plus model. So you're, you're doing a lot of these services on a cash basis. Um, and then you are exploring PBM, uh, uh, income that can that can go completely independently of a PBM's uh, opinion on what you should make <laughs> so uh, cost plus seems like a natural kind of fit and we've heard you know a few names really make some some big headlines you know Mark Cuban of course and and Kyle up with uh blueberry and then you know there's there's a handful of pharmacies that have kind of made headlines with that Tell me a little bit practically about what that looks like. Is this actually a separate entity? Is this um, just a loyalty plan that you branded within the existing pharmacy? Or, you know, how does that actually work?
1: Yeah. So um, we ended up doing our cost plus pharmacy. We set it up as a separate LLC. Um, After long, this, this discussion has been in the works for well, over two years, I would say. Um, and we didn't actually open the pharmacy until last summer. And that's because we've had, it took a lot of reporting. So we wanted to look at what was our current cash price. Um, and we don't want to deter those patients, but we want to be able to, you know, a lot, lot of market analysis, I would say, um, in addition to contracting. So uh, we, Tim, checked with uh, different individuals at our PSAO. Um, we, we, we didn't want to have a conflict with our current operation and we, we, we wanted to be very careful. So instead of setting up a loyalty plan for a patient and our regular operation, we felt it safest to go ahead and open up, um, a separate LLC, a separate, um, a separate pharmacy, essentially a separate NPI. So, uh, with that, we, we don't feel that that's going to throw off any of our, um, any pricing, so so any any time that we're reporting, our our numbers are separate over and our cost plus than they than what they are at our traditional community pharmacy. Um, so we feel that that it's lower risk that way. Um, we've heard of patient or uh, we've heard of pharmacies that have implemented it into their current workflow. Um, and again, I think this is this is new territory, so nobody really knows. Um, I think it's a a decision that you you ultimately you just have to decide what's best for your business. Um, and, and we, you know, we're at the point where, well, maybe if a plan wants to cancel our contract, then maybe they should cancel our contract. But, um, for us, it was the best way for us to kind of dip our toes in it. Um, because of the setup that we have that I mentioned initially, we're able to run our cost plus pharmacy out of a different suite. So we have, we have the perfect setup to be able to run an efficient operation. Um, and not everyone has that. So I can understand why they would want to implement it into their, their current operation as well um but we we have a very unique staffing situation that we're able to to have um someone staffing that pharmacy so so we just we have the i feel that we have a better a better setup to be able to to run the pharmacy this way um and i also feel that it gives us some um leverage whenever we are talking to businesses in the community uh this is interesting and and i'm not sure what will come of this but one of our first patients in cost plus I'll never forget Um, It was a vet's office shopping for insulin. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is perfect. We should talk to all the vets. So, um, you know, you you never know where you'll find your market. When we opened Cost Plus, we didn't think about (laughs) we didn't think about all the pets that need their medicines that, uh, you know, that that all the um, humans don't want to pay for the regular pharmacy. Um, So I feel that we have some leverage uh, there as well. So so yeah, that's kind of how we've chosen to do it. And with that, I I guess I didn't really touch on this a whole lot. But part of where my brain has just been rolling since we've opened up Cost Plus is how do we add services to this already um, to this membership model? So when we're talking about adding services, one thing I've I've really tried to um, we're actually getting we're, we're we've already launched it. I just you know I I. I can't launch everything at once, but we have um, a home-based program where we can send our community health workers out to their homes, um, or I could offer services at a patient's home, for example, Um, and this could be a membership add-on. So I keep using, I keep telling my team, we could have add-ons for this, add-ons for that. So um, with our clinic, if a patient says, I've been really stressed recently, I'm not sure, can you just, I've been having low energy, can you just help me pick out what vitamins I need? Well, instead of me throwing vitamins at them and then in six months, them getting their labs drawn and we don't really know what their baseline was, I now have the ability to offer low-cost labs in partnership with our Cost Plus Pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I now have that ability to offer low-cost labs, get actual results, and then we can use our own branded line to uh, to to get mm-hmm. the patients what they need. So I'm really focused on this, this idea of wellness and closing the gap in care because I do feel like so much of my job is... Um, we just, want, we just want instant gratification. Patients just want us to throw something at them because that's what they're used to and that's what they're told to do is we'll just go by the pharmacy and have them pick out a vitamin for you. Well, that's fine and I'm happy to do that if a patient doesn't want to pay for the labs or go through that process. But if we want actual answers instead of band-aiding a problem, <laughs> let's look at what other options can we offer. Um, and so I really just feel like we've been able to increase patient access to a lot of services. Um, and even if they don't go through us, at least they now know that these are options that exist and they can maybe um actually treat treat their conditions and um find some answers.
0: Yeah, and you guys do pretty much like any lab that a, a patient would need or because that's that's something that's interesting I think in other countries if if you know, you heard on a podcast about iron deficiencies and then you're like, "You know what? That sounds like me. Maybe I should go get my iron level checked." That's not something that's really accessible for most people. I don't, I don't know that I could just go get my iron checked somewhere.
1: Not without an order. I mean, not, yeah. not without a pr- physician's order. And then the other piece of that. So let's say you're the patient that listens to that uh, like podcast or, or whatever the example was. Uh, even worse, they're like, maybe I need more potassium. And then they're like, they don't realize that o- OTC medicines can be dangerous too. Um, and so instead of picking up the whole laundry basket of things out on our shelves, um We can just tell them and, and, you know, maybe B12 is not the best example, but I can really individualize a patient's package. And to that point, are we charging for these services? So instead of the pharmacist spending 30 or 40 minutes researching all of the supplements that a patient needs when we have no data to support um, a lot of these anyways, maybe I charge for a consultation to be able to do these things. And patients are surprisingly, even in our town, patients are willing to pay for services. If you tell them, that you are. So it's, it's just kind of changing that mindset um, of a lot of uh, practice habits that we've gotten used to over the years. And it's just trying to set set a status. I, I can't call my doctor's office and ask for 45 minutes of their time over the phone and expect an answer back immediately. If we're trying to push the appointment based model, we've got we've got to embrace it. We've got to push the appointment based model. But we've also got to offer services that support that as well, I feel.
0: yeah. So that's interesting. You know, when you have this many great services that you offer, yeah, you know, what does that onboarding look like? If if a patient transfers, they just moved into town and they have you know a handful of medications, so they're already a sync candidate. Um, never been in the pharmacy before. You know, do you do you look at their medication list and and look at their insurance and decide, you know, Cash Plus over here or. Um, you know, or stay with us? Or, you know, how do you, what's that initial conversation without blowing their mind?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So this is realistic that this happens every day. So number one, one thing that I love that you mentioned, and that is a huge passion point of mine is our adherence services. So I I even have gotten away from calling it MedSync just because we're doing more than just syncing their meds. Um, We're calling it CareSync Adherence. It's our adherence department. Um, So these individuals, it's an automatic. I rewrote our policies and procedures to say that this is how Mitchell's drugstores operates. So um, it, it's a better business model and it's a better patient care model as well. that it, and that's what we've found. Um, that being said, we do have an onboarding process for uh, the the adherence um, enrollment. and, by doing that, that allows these individuals to talk to one of our community health workers, and they also have been trained on various uh, various uh, keywords, I should say. So whether it's an affordability issue, whether it is a good candidate for uh, pharmacogenomics, whether their uh, mother that they're taking care of needs a cognitive use screening, um, you know, all of these different things, or whether we do need to do a home visit, delivery, all of these things, it's kind of um, assessed on that initial onboarding. After that, when we're looking at insurance status, um, if I have a patient that is not insured, um, I'm, I've really got to take a look at what is what are the medications and how many, for example. So our membership model with Cost Plus is really set up on the basis of patients that are, for the most part, patients that are taking all the generic medications. And we believe that there is a benefit to them purchasing a membership. There's a threshold. Is my membership more than paying? For the savings that I'm getting at Cost Plus, so if you're only taking a Lisinopril 10 milligrams, for example, uh, you probably don't need a whole membership for Cost Plus. Realistically, now you're welcome to go over there uh, and use that pharmacy, but you get a with a membership, you're getting an even greater discount. So we are able to uh, monitor those medications, dispense in larger quantities with the prescriber's permission, um, and the, that, that takes less of our time too. So we're going to give you a discount if we're using less labels, less vials, less phone calls, less renewals, all of these things. Um, and so I've got a patient, that, and, and honestly, one weird, uh, unique, I should say, uh, patient population that I found that this is benefiting is even our our Medicare D patients that are paying low premiums, high um, co-pays over at our, pharma- mm-hmm. our, our traditional pharmacy for their generic medications. So I've actually found some of those individuals that um, they're really struggling with affordability issues. And when it comes to that, I tell them, hey, I can save you money if you use this pharmacy. And in turn, I am not playing the insurance's games of only having to dispense the 30-day supplies or only having to wow. get... Uh, th- this sounds silly, but I, I mean, even generic medications that cost me, let's say, it cost me four dollars to to purchase. Their insurance is requiring a PA on some of these because they would prefer them to use the dollar <laughs> medication, for example. And I'm yep. like, this is ridiculous. Now, what would we do? I would cash it out. So for our patients that are receiving adherence packaging, it does get a little tricky because we we pretty much we need to be able to see all their med- medications at once um, on one one server. But for our patients that um, either aren't in adherence packaging or they have no problem i one example armor thyroid so what the patient was being charged over on our traditional pharmacy through their insurance was three and a half times what i could get for them in our cost plus pharmacy now with having the cost plus pharmacy we of course have a different contract with a wholesaler um and it's because of that transparent model so so that took some work as well as far as not setting up the pharmacy overnight um so it kind of depends. And and we really just try to individualize. So yeah, I need that patient list. I need to see what they're taking, how often they're taking it. Um and for patients that I, I have people all the time they come through the drive-thru. Hey, so what's this cost plus pharmacy? Well, you're only picking up a Z pack and an inhaler and you don't take any meds. You probably don't need our you don't need a membership at our cost plus pharmacy. Um, I like to compare it to Sam's Club, but it's kinda like if I'm only gonna go to Sam's Club once a year for, you know, to load up on meat, maybe I don't need it, you know, I or you know, whatever Steve. Sure, but if I am a business owner who uh, is constantly purchasing supplies every month, maybe I do need that membership. So it, it's a similar concept. It's just there's been a lot of education to patients and to our community and to prescribers on on what this process looks like. And I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer. I think we, we truly do. Uh, the pharmacists, we, we're trained to kind of look at that list and say, hey, yeah, that makes sense. Um but ultimately, you can just run the numbers and say, hey, you're not actually, you know, my number, it depends on the med. But if you're going to list three really generic medications to me, metformin, lisinopril, atorvastatin, maybe you don't need a membership. I don't know. But guess what? If you do, then we don't have to run any insurance. And I can, as long as your your doctor authorizes it, I can I can give you up to a year's supply in our cost plus pharmacy. And you don't have to come back for the whole year if you've been wow. regimented on those. So um, it really just depends. We don't have a lot of patients in that exact scenario because, of course, medications do change and things like that. But um, definitely a convenience factor uh, that some people are willing to pay for as well.
0: So Yeah, yeah. And when you go into the pharmacy every three months or six months or whatever interval, again, leveraging that appointment-based model so that you guys are planning ahead of time for immunizations or you know, any, any uh, labs that you need to update. So really a different relationship with that pharmacy visit than just swinging in to pick up a couple prescriptions at that point, I guess.
1: I don't do swinging in to pick up very well. I always tell everyone, <laughs> this is why I rewrote our policies and procedures. You don't want to wait in the drive through line. I don't want you waiting in the drive through line. So adherence is the basis for our services. We, we tack on all of these other things onto these visits. So um, all the things that you're mentioning, that's how we're capturing a patient. That's how we're reviewing them. And that's how we're actually having a touch point and documenting it. So that's the other thing I hear a lot is, well, I don't have the time. I don't have the time to document it. Well, you're already documenting it anyways, because you're making the adherence call. You don't have to waste more time. You don't have to take more time. You don't have to pull someone away. So it's all about training. Um, it's kind of getting your getting in that mindset and showing if you can show that there is an ROI to doing all of these things, well, then tack it on to the end of your call. Take an extra three minutes, do it then, and I I don't have to worry about if I'm going to have 20 people show up this afternoon for a vaccine because more than likely, um, if they are already one of my patients, we've already talked to them this month anyways.
0: So with the the cost plus, are you targeting you know individual patients? Or are you offering those services to the Lazy Boy facility up the road? Like, how, how are you going about that, uh, you know, with, with businesses? Like, you know, if there's a, a big employer, especially in a small, relatively small community like that, how are you able to market all of those great services in a way that's consumable for their entire employee population?
1: Yeah, so that's kind of, so, so both, we're marketing to both um, individuals and businesses um, the very first patients we actually had were a what was a business actually uh, that Tim and I went and talked to, um, and again this goes back to education. So uh, that gets a little tougher because everyone again I, I mentioned individual individualizing everything. Well, when you have Mr. Smith who has Ozempic, and then you have Miss Jones who only takes Lisinopril, of course they want to sign. Uh, Miss Jones up for cost plus because it saves them money, uh, but what about the Ozempic? So, so we really kind of have to take that into account, and it's it's been it's been a little bit of a juggling act, but that is where we're we're trying to complement with some of these other services that we're offering as well. So whenever I can offer them um, access to a membership based primary care provider and an acute care provider as well, uh, if we can we can join our efforts, then we can offer them more than medications. We're offering them a service. So it's how do you sell it as a service and not a product? And it's been very interesting because unless you're you're versed in the pharmacy world, they say, well, but I but they do need insurance. But but this goes towards their deductible. Well, how often are these people that are getting generic medications meeting their seven thousand dollar deductible or four (laughs) thousand dollars or whatever? They're not. They're not meeting it. And so you just really have to show people. So I've actually spent some time running some reports for specific businesses in our area. And this was a this was a fun game, but I I asked him. I said, so why can't I show them? I said, is is it okay to say, well, what about this this member? They're they're paying this much money. Look how much I could save you. Tim said, well, don't do it that way. Tell them to pull a claim. So when we're sitting at a meeting, I've got all my stuff, and I say, okay, pick pick any one of these claims. It's de-identified. Tell me a prescription number where you um, would like to see savings, and I can pull it. And almost every time, it is saving them money to come for, through our cost plus model now. The other thing is adding it as a supplement to if they want to go ahead and and still be insured through a traditional um, carrier, they can. But it's kind of how do you rework that to maximize savings? So you don't necessarily need to um, carry the highest coverage level for all of your your employees. So um, this is still a juggling act. We're still working on this. Um, we're still, we're still figuring out how, how to make this work, but this is part of, of where we're focusing this year. Um, and so I really think just having that, um, that big tree membership as well. And all of these other things I'm telling you, if we can put it together in a nice, pretty marketing package, I think it's more sellable. So, um, it has to be sellable to the person and, and usually it's not just one quick conversation. They, they have lots of questions and, and that's okay. So we, we try to roll with it.
0: Yeah, and that's a great point about not necessarily needing that prescription coverage because most of your patients that are taking maintenance medications, you know, are, are not uh, even using that insurance to their benefit, you know. And it's it's kind of like – I can't remember if it was uh, Todd or, or Mike on another pharmacy podcast that uh, that kind of compared it to using your, your car insurance for an oil change, right? That's, that's not – what you use it for, so you know they're literally called maintenance medications. <laughs> um, so, tell me a little bit more about the the Big Tree endeavor. We're getting a little top of the hour here, but that's all right. We can uh, go through. I want to hear a little bit about uh, Big Tree, kind of how you guys came uh, to that decision. I guess you've touched on that a little bit, but how have you, um, you know, kind of looked at that in the community as a way to supplement? the uh, local providers uh, and not necessarily you know cause conflict or overstep or you know uh, work collaboratively still with those
1: right so I didn't touch on it but bluntly if we th- this seemed like a solution for us to be able to close that gap in care so if we can't get someone to work with us <laughs> and help solve those then let's just do it ourselves so how can we find a way to do it ourselves um, and so that's ultimately where that that decision came from. But like you said, we still have to consider um, other services, other providers, and I actually feel that it's been fairly well received so far uh, because, again, it's, it's all in how you market it. And so we're not going out trying to take any of these patients, any of the patients. We're really... Um, I would say we've had a softer launch than what I initially wanted, but it's how do we provide those after-hour services that aren't always readily available. So through our big BigTree um, partnership, we our page, our members actually have 24-7 access. Um, and so that's been really convenient. And I try to put myself in the position of the patient. Would I want this if I were the patient and would I pay that much for it? And so through this I, through this concept... Um, it, it there's been a lot of moving logistics. This has been a work in progress for a while, too. Um, but we have been able to contract a certain rate with our local um, Quest lab and possibly another lab service uh, to be able to offer certain labs. So I, I know you mentioned that earlier, but this is even an easy way for patients to be able to do that. So maybe we're not taking away from their primary care. For example, maybe the patient is um, just interested in some of these ancillary services that we're offering, or they're interested in the nutraceutical line, or they're interested in knowing um, what their uh, why their energy is so low post COVID. For example, what labs okay. are off? And and you know maybe I can't do that, um, but maybe I can. And if they're interested in it, then. It's all about listening to what the patients are telling you that they're looking for, and being able to have a, an easy referral process for that. So, um, patients are paying copays to go to their doctor. Uh, they don't have time. They can't get in for six months, whatever the case may be. So, we're really here as a support for those individuals. Um, and and I'll use I'll use our own team. But whenever I have an employee who suddenly is ill on a Thursday morning. And she can't get into the doctor until tomorrow and she's not sure if she has COVID and she can work. Okay, well, guess what? I have COVID testing here. And if she comes back positive, if she still can't get in until tomorrow, how does that help? Or if she has the flu and she needs to get Tamiflu on board, how does that, you know, where, where are we at here on a patient care level? And so that's really where we we've, we've found this to be beneficial to both our community and not overstep in other, um, operations that are occurring, uh, both our own operations and, and other, um, external operations in our community. Um, it's not going to be for everyone, of course, but I've been recently trying to research ways, um, to do like a major medical with it as well. So someone like, like myself, um, you know, I, I had a I had a baby in 2022 and I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, well, big tree wouldn't have been a good option because what happens whenever I have to go to the hospital and I have that huge expense? So I've really, it's kind of made me um, start to, to think, okay, if I'm the patient, what questions would I be asking? And that's kind of where I'm spending some time researching right now and trying to make sure that I have answers so that when my patients do ask or the employer groups do ask. To answer your question, uh, you mentioned uh, a local employer group. And so that's where if I can sit there and say, hey, I've got 24-7 virtual um, acute care clinic. I've got a uh, a DPC as well. I've got the nutraceutical line. I've got a pharmacist that can run these labs. I've got the referral process in place. I've got your medications taken care of. When you can say that I've got all these things, they're like, okay, this is weird. Why have I never heard of this? Well, because no one else is doing it in in our town. And so that's where it becomes sellable. But we are, back to what you said at the very beginning, we are the local people. We're the people also receiving these services. We're your people that can tell you um, when you don't have transportation where you can receive that. When you don't have affordability, where can we get that? When you don't have access to food, where's your local food pantry? So it's been so nice to be able to complement an aggressive cash business model with the locality as well. So um, that's that's our goal. But maybe you, should, maybe you should recap with me at the end of the year and see if we were successful or not. I don't know.
0: So. so it is interesting that, you know, the pharmacies that uh, are high performing, you know, there there are not many that I've talked to that have a single solution where we started compounding this miracle medication and and, and that changed our business. It's, it's usually these small victories on so many fronts that are just driving the business forward. And I think Mitchells is a great example of that. One thing I wanted to uh, give some kudos to. Uh, I, I look before I ever uh, you know have a guest on. One of the things I do is just drive around their community on Google Maps, and you know you get a feel for for what it's like to live there a little bit. It's kind of a amazing future piece of technology. From uh, you know if you kind of think about growing up in the eighties and nineties. But um, the uh, the Boulevard store. On Google Maps right now, you can see the branded delivery vehicle parked out front. There's this beautiful waterfall. And then you guys actually have a, a sign for the uh, Chamber of Commerce beauty spot right out front, which is you know not there year-round. Uh, you have the uh, sign-up for flu shots, which was also seasonal. There's a, a sign for the Cost Plus Pharmacy out front. So I thought it was really striking just how how well maintained and and great looking the pharmacy was from uh from curb appeal but also the you know the marketing and and the the fresh messages that are out i thought that was really neat um just from looking around google drive or uh driving on google
1: i can't take a lot of credit for that but uh if i rolled this window up you'd see the fountain and most of those things right behind me so um i think i think that's another thing even uh, when since since Tanner and Taylor have been on board i think we've all just tried to really say well where are people getting their information and how are they accessing it and what do we want them to see from Mitchells if this is their only uh encounter with us or they're googling us or um they need to get a hold of us we we want to make sure that that we're able to service their needs and and kind of if you have one impression what what is that impression so um yeah i i appreciate that acknowledgement i'll be sure and and tell tim because He's maintained it over the years.
0: Yeah, well, it's definitely a, you know, a visual representation of a progressive business, right? When I go into a business like that, I expect something progressive, not something stale and, you know, um, oh, that place isn't going to have it; they're old school or, or whatever. It's, it's that that line of traditional and and uh, embracing progress. So,
1: well, and what's funny about you saying that if you were to walk into our downtown store, totally different feel, but also fits their location so when you walk in it looks like an old-time pharmacy they've got memorabilia they've got all of these it's truly the downtown feel like the soda the soda fountain feel um and so it's kind of interesting how how different our two locations are space wise look wise um but equally they're able to offer all of these things and again it's how how do you present that to the patient so um kind of interesting yeah
0: yeah yeah and so when you say downtown um uh You guys actually have like the old downtown square with the courthouse in the middle, you know, uh, great like kind of Norman Rockwell small town downtown, except uh, unlike many small town communities uh, like that, it it seems to be mostly occupied and bustling and and just a really great place to be. Uh, So what are you excited about in 2024, 2025? You know, what's what's the we're all caught up? Now let's do the next thing. What what would that be? What are you excited about?
1: So I think what I'm most excited about is to have already this sounds weird, but to have already been implementing some of these things so that we can refocus on what matters, which is the patient care. So we don't have if we don't have to worry about constantly reviewing a claim for for a loss or um Everyone's getting all cut up and the hustle and bustle of the the DIRs being at the point of sale and all of these things. What I'm most excited for is to continue to sit on the edge of my seat, wait for that next opportunity, because I already know that that this operation is going to run itself. I know that all the things I've told you will continue to sustain themselves and I've trained my staff appropriately so that we can maximize those new opportunities when they arise and you know sometimes that's not a good good personality trait is to to want to do too much tim and i are both a lot like that but if you can write write policies and procedures and train your staff and give that dedicated time then i can sit here and tell you it's the weirdest feeling when i walk in and if i'm supposed to have all all clinical time on a monday and i i don't have anything that i am trying to to research or do or implement that's a great feeling. I would love, I'm so excited to be able to take more time away because constantly if I'm pulling myself away, I want to be able to show the dollars for it. I would love to, for Tim and I to be able to take our time away and know that this thing's going to run itself and it, it's not, it, it's cash flowing. It's cash flowing with all the things that I told you. So um, just being able to focus on those patient care initiatives um, and, and uh, prove prove a name for ourselves and for independent pharmacy in general and, in tough times.
0: I love that. I love that. Well, I'm going to let you get back to it. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing more of you guys in the Mitchell team. Uh, we'll actually see you on stage at connect here in just a few months.
1: Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me today. I appreciate it. And um, if you want to hear more hairbrained ideas, come see me in Nashville.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond the Scripts, presented by the Catalyst Pharmacy Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please support our channel by liking, subscribing, and clicking the notification bell so that you'll be notified anytime we post new content. To stay up to date with all of the latest independent pharmacy news and content, follow Pioneer RX on your preferred social media platform.